John here, and we've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. Now that you've finished your latest Pirate Math SpongeCore Twitch trek, it's time to get it out there so everyone can hear it. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. And because you're a high-gain listener, you get 30% off. Just go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash high-gain. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash high-gain. And now DistroKid has an app. The DistroKid app is available for iOS and Android. You can download it at distrokid.com slash app or in the app and play stores. We'd like to take a minute to thank our pals over at Isotope, makers of software and plugins for audio repair, mixing, and mastering. The new gold standard of audio repair, Isotope RX11, is coming in May. Buy RX10 now on sale and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. We use Isotope products here at the High Gain. It's an important part of how we've been able to bottle pure podcast gold week after week. High Gain listeners get 10% off using the promo code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. That's all at isotope.com. I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hey, this is John Kiltica. And this is Ken Labar. Oh, hey, Ken Labar. How you doing? It's the High Game Podcast. How did I get here? I don't know. I'm in West Seattle. Where are you? I'm in Madison, Wisconsin. Wisconsin? Yes. Cheese and alcohol. That's right. Well, we're going to be talking about guitars today like we do, but we've got you here to talk about a different kind of approach to pedals also. Cool. Hey, are you experiencing a heat wave there, Ken Labar? No, I am not. And I'm not experiencing Canadian wildfire smoke either, luckily. That was with us most of the summer. Right now, it's nice and cool. In fact, we're having a cooling rain right now outside my house. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. We're heading into a severe heat event here in beautiful West Seattle. Yeah. We'll see what happens with that. Thanks for coming in, Ken, and sitting in this week for Ed. My pleasure, man. I'm happy to be here. My second time. You know, I feel like a veteran. An old pro. That's right. Why don't you refresh the viewers? Tell us a little about yourself. What do you do, Ken? I'm a director of film and video, primarily focused on concerts and entertainment productions. I directed all the major music festivals in the United States, Coachella and Lollapalooza and Bonnaroo. I also tour with bands going overseas as their video director, and then I do specials every once in a while for like Amazon or for networks and things like that. If I go to the concert and I've got my little glow stick around my neck and I'm dancing, Mm -hmm. all that stuff I see up on the screen over the band, that's you cutting that. Yes, that definitely is one thing that I do. I'm usually telling the cameras what to do, and I'm cutting what you're seeing on those screens. If it's being broadcast on the web or something, it's the same feed, right? Right. Last weekend, we were at Lollapalooza, and that was broadcast on Hulu. We stream on Hulu, on Amazon, Coachella's on YouTube, etc. Well, right on. So you've got a unique perspective you're going to bring to us here today, but I've got something for you. Uh Uh-oh. Do tell.
Beverages. Yay, beverages. Are you beveraged out there, Ken? I'm beveraged. I'm double fisting the beverages this morning. It's the double shot of espresso in one hand because I don't want to lose my energy. I got to keep my energy up. And then I've got a nice kind of protein shake thing with fruit that I made and some almond milk, a little something tasty in the afternoon. Oh. Yeah. So what are you having? I am having a coffee like we always do. Mm -hmm. Black in my case. And a Jones cane sugar soda watermelon flavor. Wow. Is that pure cane sugar? Yes, it is. (laughs) And you can taste it, right? (laughs) Jones Soda is here in Seattle. Fantastic. Yeah, they're local cats. I'll have to try it sometime. All the labels have photos on them. Bunches and bunches of different photos submitted by customers. You can even say, oh, I want a case of this soda with this photo on it. They'll do that for you. No way. So they'll customize it. That's awesome. Yeah. Maybe we should do some high-gain Jones soda. Yes. What do you think of that sound there, Ken? That was fierce. So I'm a longtime listener. Was that the DRV 1981 with a phaser by chance? The DRV 1981 is kind of in the always-on slot. And so, yeah, it was on and set to minimum. Cool. The thing that was giving it the bite was the Spaceman Sputnik 3 germanium fuzz pedal. Yeah, that sounded like it. That was awesome. And then into the Spaceman Explorer six-stage phaser pedal. And you know, I've got to tell you, yeah, that's the phaser. Yeah. Anybody who's looking for a standalone phase pedal, you should probably just get rid of all your other ones because this is the one. So like if you've got that classic boss, yes, throw it out, get this one. Yes. That's the Spaceman guys out of Portland, Oregon. Those guys make some serious pedals. This is a Fender Coronado 2, as reissued in 2013, and shortly thereafter discontinued. <laughs> <laughs> it was part of their Modern Player series. I don't know if you remember that. I just know Coronado Island, which is like off the coast of San Diego. When you fly into San Diego Airport, you fly over Coronado Island. It's a big naval base. It's a beautiful area. Probably pretty expensive, I imagine. Yeah, now you know why I live in Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> Does Madison have a super duper college vibe because of the school there or not particularly? We're the number one rated school for drinking in the United States. <laughs> so the party vibe is always here all the time. We're a Big Ten sports town. The state government is here because the state capital is here. And then on top of that, we've got tons of tech startups going on. They call the Silicon Prairie. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's medical software, and any company that kind of feeds into that is big here. We're like the new Austin. And this area of the Midwest is kind of considered safe for the next 50 years because of climate issues. Safe in what regard? Well, that's just it, right? Nothing is safe. That's the truth. But what they say is where the coasts are going to flood and places are going to burn, the Midwest is going to have a humidity issue because of the Great Lakes. But that's it. It's going to be heat and humidity, but it's not going to be the other threats, earthquakes, things like that. What about the crazy cold winters? Yeah. So our shithead state senator, Ron Johnson, went in front of uh, Congress this past year and said, well, global warming is great for Wisconsin because the winters will be more mild. We'll see. We're all going to find out together, right? I can feel my hope melting. That's right. (laughs) Along with everything else. (laughs) It was the 60s. It was a complicated time. 
Among the many popular developments in modern music, the hollow body and semi-hollow body craze, the ES-335, the Gretches. Jefferson Airplane, the Grateful Dead, the Birds. Fender was like, oh man, we can't just let that go by. We got to figure something out. Well, how are we going to do that? We got to get somebody. They got Roger Ross Meisel. Is he still with us, John? Roger is not with us. In a challenging turn of events, Roger ended up back in his homeland of Germany, living with his mom and working in a department store. I think that's where we're all headed. He lived a fast life. He liked the women. He liked the sports cars. He liked drinking. He liked racking up debt. He started at Gibson, went to Rickenbacker, oh. the 4003 base, and the Rickenbacker 360. Mm. That's Roger Rossmeisel. No way. Yeah. That guy had quite an aesthetic. He did. And you know the kind of German-carved tops on those Rickenbackers? Yes. That's Roger. Interesting. So like the cresting wave on the top horn of the 4001, that's him. Yep. That's a very original feature I always found in those bases. Absolutely. Roger knew what was up. So Fender thinks, hey, Roger, why don't you come work over here? He does. And he starts designing things like the Montego jazz box. I've never heard of the Montego. There's probably a reason you haven't. You know, the Tele Thin Line? Yes. That was invented by Roger. Wow. This chambered out deal with an F hole on it. That's Roger. Amazing. So then when they're thinking, we got to hit this semi-hollow thing hard, what do you got, Rog? He's like, all right, let me come up with something. And he did. The original Coronados were the first original design from Fender post-CBS acquisition. Interesting. And it was the first non-solid body guitar from Fender also. They were hoping to nestle right in there next to those 335s and those Epiphone casinos and all of that stuff. I never saw anybody play a Coronado like out of that generation. You always saw like what you just said, the 335s. Yeah, I don't know if they were super duper popular for a few reasons. They were fully hollow, and that doesn't have to be a problem, except that they had a tendency to really squeal with feedback. Of course, yeah. The pickups in them were Diarmans? I don't know. They weren't the most robust things. Oh, yeah, they're not the best. At 335, you're going to have a pair of humbuckers and maybe you're going to be okay. Right. And back in that day, you needed like a high output pickup because of the amplifiers not being as loud and being able to project, you know, especially over the noise of the crowd. Yeah, they were just kind of fraught with all those kind of problems. I don't think they did really well. They tried some different variations. Have you heard of the Wildwood versions? Not at all. What is it? They would take beech trees and inject them with a dye. This is like where they become Captain America version of trees, where they become all muscular. It might as well be, right? Right. But no, they inject different colored dyes into the trees while they were growing. And then once they were ready to harvest them, the wood would end up being all freaky colored. Awesome. They would use that as a veneer on the Coronados, green or blue or red or yellow. Would you say they were psychedelic in their colors, John? I think they were kind of going for some of that, you know, with the hippies. Because the hippies were all about spending money on new guitars. And smoking the weed dope. Weed dope. <laughs> and the hash pipe. And railing against the man. Who was trying to sell them a brand new Coronado. I'll show you the man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Around 1967, do you remember the Antigua finish? Yes. I hate that finish. You know why they did that? No. They had no choice. Uh-oh. They had a little bit of a problem. They were putting the binding on guitars, and what they were using to put the binding on the guitars as a glue or reacting agent sure. was causing the body around that binding to burn. 
Really? Yeah, it would end up with burn marks. So it was this crazy, like, chemical reaction? Yeah. Okay, interesting. And so they were like, oh, crap, I think we just ruined all these guitars. And somebody must have had the brilliant idea, like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to paint it this color and do this kind of burst that's kind of the same color as the burn marks. Wow, that's genius. And it will cover it up. We'll call it Antigua. Oh, my God. (laughs) So that's what they did. They've screwed up. They're going to toss it all out. And somebody goes, no, 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 I got an idea to how to save this. And it becomes like a collector's item. Yeah, and that's the funny part. A lot of companies, Gibson, Fender, that's the whole reason a lot of them did sunbursts anyway. We can get away with using maybe a lesser quality wood or not having to be so finicky about the joints Uh. because we're just going to sunburst that anyway. Sucker. Yeah. (laughs) That's why if you wanted a 335 in all natural, it was going to cost you more than the painted one. Uh, They were going to have to pay more attention and use better wood because it was all going to show. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. You know, Elvis Presley even played a Coronado in the movie Speedway. I have not seen that one. Elvis Presley racing the cars and playing the Coronados. Does he get the girl in the end, John? That's all we care about. Probably. Does he win the race and get the girl? He probably does. And then they go off to smoke the weed dope. (laughs) (laughs) Have a banana and peanut butter sandwich or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, fried. (laughs) He was all about the uppers and the downers, the two and alls, the second alls. He liked his pills because that wasn't real drugs. It was prescribed by a doctor, so it was okay. He would grind those up and put them in the sandwiches. That's right. It made the banana and peanut butter taste that much better. Yeah, it gave it a zip. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it did. (laughs) (laughs) With all those problems, oh, man, the binding's on fire. This thing is feeding back. Nobody likes these wacky colors. By the time they discontinued the Coronado in the early 70s, the people internally at Fender broadly considered that experiment a disaster. I can see that. And that was it. And Roger went on his way to ruin more guitars? No, shortly after that, he split, and he was heavily in debt personally to Leo Fender. Wow. I think Leo just kind of realized, like, well, I'm never seeing that money again. Right. Leo just let it go, and that was it. What a character arc. Kaufhaus des Westerns department store. Let's see what this thing sounds like, Ken. Yeah, it sounds clean, man. It sounds really precise, too. It's got a nice tone. This reissue has what they call Fidelitron humbuckers. Okay. Whereas the original would have had those lower-powered diarmins. So in that regard, this thing's nicer. Introduced in 2013 as part of the Modern Player series, made in China. That whole series was gone by 2018, Mm. so it didn't last that long. Is there any collectible value to this guitar? I'd have to say no, not really. Okay. It doesn't seem like it, but as a player, it's kind of nice. Let's see. If I'm in the middle here, I've got these two pickups. Pickup selector switch, two volume, two tone. It's pretty serviceable. Right. And if I want to get as trebly as possible, you can get there. It sounds really full. It sounds really good, to my ear at least. Yeah. And then here's the next side. Oh, you had to hit me with some of those jazzy chords. Yeah, jazzy time. Love it. Suddenly I want to scat. I don't know why. Scoodly do, Dad. That's right. Yeah, and then I put some of that 1981 just ever so slightly back on there. 
I'm back in the middle and it does the thing. Play some power pop with that. Nice. Not bad. This one is a semi-hollow as well, not fully hollow like the original Coronados were. I think they took the lesson from the feedback of those originals. Mm -hmm. It's got a block running down the middle of it. The one we have here today is Black Cherry Burst. Mm -hmm. It's kind of nice, but you could get it in straight black sunburst or candy apple red at the time how is it priced i mean was it reasonable was it within reach of average joe and jane i'm glad you asked that ken <laughs> because i'm gonna ask you oh no yeah oh no i've fallen into the trap that's right <laughs> <laughs> it was a complicated year ken 2013 yeah oh boy i don't even remember what i was doing in 2013 this thing comes out as part of a larger series made in china china so that means bargain you're right. It is less expensive because it's made in China, but where does it fit because it's branded Fender? It's not a Squire, which would be the real budget line. I'm going to try to do the calculation here in real time for the viewers to hear me. Uh, Squires usually cap out at around 500, 550 maybe. Then you move into like the Fendery stuff, maybe around 800 or whatever. So I'm guessing this thing was around eight fifty to nine hundred dollars new in 2013. You actually came in a little high, Kim. Oh wow! It was six hundred ninety nine bucks. Oh, not bad. Do you want to figure out how much that is in today dollars? Oh Jesus! It's probably eight fifty, eight seventy five. You're closer there. It's about nine fifteen. Okay. In today dollars. Nice. If you could get one for like seven seven fifty, sure, man. Why not? It sounds like a good utility guitar. If you need that sort of fat sound that the combination of the semi-hollow body gives you with those particular pickups, it's perfect. Do you know the Cabernita Tellies? Do you remember those? Yes. The Fidelitrons were actually designed and debuted in the Cabernitas. Interesting. They look retro. Yeah, they've got that Diarmin kind of Filtertron look to them. I wonder what happens if I put a little lower octave. Yeah. Maybe a little more of that grunt on there. <laughs> Yep. That's kind of cool. I like it. Reminds me of a Queens of the Stone Age. It's got that sort of low growl that they like for their stuff, you know? Yeah. With the octave on it and kind of that trashy PV amp sort of sound. I should put a little more phase on there. for the dramatic climb. I love it. <laughs> I love that. Speaking of effects and Queens of the Stone Age, yeah, I've got my board here, uh -huh. and it's set up in a very specific way for what we do here on the show. I've got discrete pedals, and they kind of rotate around a lot depending on what we're doing. Sure. I've left a big hole in the middle of the board because we usually bring new pedals in and rotate things through. But the general vibe, I would say, is pretty utilitarian. Mm -hmm. You know, dirt into some uh, like tram and phase and things like that into modulation and reverb and nothing too out of the normal. Right. You and I have been discussing lately, though, especially with live bands. Yes. This kind of move towards all in one solutions, not only for the flexibility it offers tonally, 
but you are noticing that it makes a lot of practical sense in a live setting. Uh, tell me about that. Okay, so I was directing at Lollapalooza at the beginning of August, and I always look at the bands that are coming in, what gear they're using. And it used to be, you know, rock bands with back lines and real amps and guitars, et cetera, the whole thing. Because touring is the only source of income these days, because, you know, Spotify has eviscerated essentially songwriters being able to earn a living in conjunction with the labels. The bands now essentially cut down to as little crew and as little gear as they can carry. And these floorboard units like Fractal or Helix by Line 6, you know, these DSP-driven hardware solutions are what everybody is using. There were bands that were on first or second early on in the day where it would be like a guitar player and like a rapper, and the guitar player would have a floor unit and would have essentially the whole show built into the floor unit so he could just page through and get all the effects he needed for each song. I literally watched a guitar player walk out set down his pedal board, plug everything in, tune up his guitar, set the guitar on the stand, and then walk off until it was time for him to come back on with the artist he was working with. And then he packed it all up at the end of the show and walked off with it. That saves a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of resources, all the things that you don't have and that you can't afford. It's a good solution for that. And also it makes your front of house guy and your monitor person really happy because every time you send them a signal from it, it's consistent and they know how to dial it in. It takes them no time at all to set it up. As you're watching the bands do this, do you find that it comes at the cost of any kind of spontaneity? A lot of shows these days are driven by a click track coming off of a laptop with backing tracks to kind of fatten the mix. Yeah. You can play live music, not hooked to a click, etc., with these boards, and it works fantastic. But if you're in a situation where your whole show is driven off of a MIDI clock coming off a laptop, these boards are also really good because they take MIDI input. You could fire off commands to change patches on your pedal board. You don't even have to step on it. You could be doing rhythm and go to the solo, and the thing will automatically switch because a MIDI command was sent by the laptop. If you're in a situation where you're on stage and somebody calls out a song that wasn't on the original set list, right? laptop guy can just shoot that to your board then. Yeah. If you're like a rhythm guitar guy and you're doing a fly-in, if they've got a board at the venue, all you need is your laptop, right? Exactly. You just load in the patches and go. Here, let me give you a... Do you hear that? That's a little clean. Tell us what you got there. I'm using the Helix floor unit. Now, I'm a pedal and amp guy. Old school. I prefer it like that. But I'm working on a new project, and I thought I'd give this a try. Literally, I got on the internet and I downloaded a bunch of free patches. And this one is the Robert Fripp patch. So it's got like a clean. I'm playing through a 72 Mustang. All I do is touch over here and I've got, I've got a dub sound. Right? And then if I need a drive sound, I've got a drive sound. And then I touch another one and I've got a synth. This thing has got two rows of six buttons on it. Those are all full with different sounding patches. And each of those patches can be made up of multiple sounds, right? Yeah, it can be whatever you want. I'm trying to replace the more unique pedals that I have with this board. And the big thing is, is that say you have a pedal collection that you really love. There's four send and returns that you can essentially run to your pedal chain and incorporate those pedals into your signal flow as well and not lose those effects the fidelity of this yeah do you think it has arrived 
Yeah, because it's 96K coming out of this. The audiences you're seeing, they probably don't care, right? You know, there are a lot of times where we as guitar players get obsessed with the purity of the sound. It's got to be the right effect, or it's got to be analog, or it's got to be this germanium chipset, or it's got to be whatever. And I've learned over the years, both as a player and also as a director, that the audience doesn't care. All the audience cares about is that it sounds great, and they're having fun. Yeah. They can dance to it. They can drink to it. They can screw to it. They can do whatever they want to do to the soundtrack, but they don't care how it gets there. They really don't. Right. Our man, Roger, yeah. Roger Rossmeisel, when he came up with the Coronado in 66, yep. how much was a Coronado too? You're going to probably spend like what, $600? Is, is that what you're going with? <laughs> I feel like the price is right, man. One dollar, John. One dollar. That's all I got. One dollar. <laughs> it was 319 bucks. Oh, my God. That's damn cheap. You could get one pickup, two pickup, a 12 string, a bass. You could outfit the Partridge family with all Coronados. Yeah. Yeah. In today dollars, that's like $3,000. You got to try it. Try and decide. Well, Ken, the version we have here was made in China around 2013, and a lot of the problems that the originals might have had were addressed. The Modern Player Series Coronado 2, buy or deny? It would be a buy. Buy, John. I would say buy. Buy. When we talked about that Queens of the Stone Age sound that it kind of gives off when you throw the dirt in and the phase, yeah. that thing does it. Also, because it's a cheaper guitar, especially used, it's perfect if you need a hollow body that does that. It's hollow body, but it's got aggressive pickups, which is awesome. I think I have to agree with you. I think it's a buy. I think the price is fantastic, and you're going to get those tones you're talking about. Plus, it looks super classy. It would up your attraction to either the same sex or the opposite sex right away. Oh, there's a kind of plus one vibe coming off this thing. Exactly. What I will do is take a whole bunch of pictures of this, and we're going to put them where we put them on our Instagrams and such like. And you, the viewers, will decide for yourself. Has the high gain officially embraced X as opposed to Twitter? Uh, half of us have. Okay. Ed is on X. Okay. And I am not. Okay. And, you know, we're still rabid members of the Ruinous Media Network of music-related podcasts. Those lovely people. I think Joe is still out on tour with his band, The Cold War Kids. Great guys. Great music. I want to thank you, Ken for coming and doing this with us. And when Ed gets back, I'm sure he will objectively grade your performance. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Well, thank you, John. Love the podcast. I tell all my friends about it, musicians and non-musicians. Long may you run. Oh, thank you. We'll get you a certificate of completion. That's awesome. Okay, Ken. Thanks a lot. Take care, John. Thank you. 